Welcome back to Leaders of Color. On today's episode, we are joined by Gunit Puni of Moksha. Gunit is a freelance writer and is currently studying international relations and law and society at the University of British Columbia. She is passionate about grassroots work and community-engaged learning. Gunit was a youth fellow for Leading in Color's Digital Institute for Activism Fellowship and is the founder of Moksha, an initiative aimed at addressing internalized racism in the South Asian community. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a little bit wild in Ontario with COVID. How is it out in BC? Um, it's been pretty wild too. They've lifted most of the restrictions, but I've been mm-hmm. staying home. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get away from the Delta variant is the goal, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How has quarantine been for you? I think you folks have been able to go outside a little bit more than we were up until recently. Have you at least gotten to to get fresh air and stuff like that? I have. I've mostly um, just been going on some daily walks, spending time with family, nothing too crazy. Yeah, just been trying to like, you know, stay safe, stay at home. Yeah, very fair. At least you guys have the ocean out there. You don't have to worry about like sitting in the highway or something here. (laughs) There's nothing but roads in Ottawa. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for that. I've been up to like a few lakes over the summer and beaches. Oh, so that's been nice. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. For folks who aren't too familiar, uh, do you want to tell them how you first got in touch with Leading in Color and what our, I guess, your relationship is to the organization? Yeah, so we actually, we met during Daughters of the Boat. I can't remember. I think, was that 2019? Yes. <laughs> um, but I guess we didn't officially meet, but that's how I kind of knew you. And then you started leading in color from that. And I really like loved what you were doing. And then last summer when you guys launched the digital fellowship, that's kind of how I got involved. I had a really good experience with the fellowship too. And I'm really excited that it's grown and like more people have joined. Yeah, amazing. So we'll talk a little bit about the fellowship in a second. Maybe I'll dispel the myth. I think a lot of people thought that I started Leaders of Color slash Leading in Color out of Daughters of the Vote. I did not actually. (laughs) But I hired Leading in Color to basically be like from the grant that we got to, to be a partnership organization. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your organization that you started through the fellowship program. When you did the fellowship, it was very much a pilot program, very much not funded <laughs> and very minimal in terms of what we could offer. But I, it sounds like it was somewhat fruitful, which is great. So tell folks about what your organization is, what you do and how you came up with it. Moksha, uh, I guess it's not really an organization. It's more of like an initiative. It's just kind of me doing it. But it came out of the fellowship, and we co-hosted the first virtual dialogue. It was called You Plus Internalized Racism, and it was basically just a place for South Asian youth to come together and discuss their experiences of growing up as first and second gen kids in mostly BC and how internalized racism has affected them. Amazing. And it was so lovely to create that space for folks. I think I I got the privilege of being there and, and watching the conversation happen and being engaged in it was so fruitful and such a needed discussion, I think, that we haven't had the opportunity to have, particularly in South Asian communities, 
across what is currently Canada. So it was definitely needed. What was it that you wanted to start doing this initiative and, and put your energy towards creating a space like this? About a year before this happened, I was kind of introduced to the topic of internalized racism. And we talk a lot about the different forms of racism and how they show up in our lives, but internalized racism isn't really one of them. And I just wanted to explore more of what it looked like in the South Asian community, how it impacted youth, and what youth could do about it. So it was a lot of learning on my part. I didn't know a lot going into it. I was just kind of trying to learn myself and talk to people and see how they felt about it. For some of the folks maybe who don't know or aren't familiar with what internalized racism is, can you explain a little bit what that concept means to you? I think like for me, it means taking like white narratives of us and just adopting them and like living through them and believing them and seeing ourselves kind of less than. And I think it's really harmful, not only to ourselves, but it contributes to how we uphold white supremacy in our society. Absolutely. And I think that's something that so much of us, especially young people struggle with is this idea of like, proximity to whiteness and how internalized racism kind of shifts that identity I guess with us wanting to be as close to to whiteness or to the norm I guess as we possibly can in order to not experience things like racism but that in and of itself is racism (laughs) what sort of inspired you to create this event the way that you you put it on like why did you want to have a discussion and a dialogue about it I I wanted a space where everyone felt safe and where they could kind of share their experiences, like without any pressure, and like without judgment. And it was online mostly because of COVID, you know, at the time we couldn't see anyone. But I think that worked out so well, because everyone was just kind of in the comfort of their own homes, and there was like no pressure to speak. But everyone really openly contributed to the conversation very quickly. And I thought that was really beautiful. Are you able to share some of what your conversations were about or the conversation I guess that we had were about? There were three main topics that guided the discussion. So we started with sharing what ideals we felt that we had to conform to, like if we were brown enough or what was too brown. And then like what steps we're taking now to learn how to celebrate our culture instead of feeling shame about it. And lastly, like how we came to recognize our racialized identities. That's amazing. And so when you're creating a space like this, what are some of the qualities that you're looking for to to bring out of folks? Like, was it just the experiences of sharing the different, I guess, some of the trauma bonding experiences? Or is there more to it than just that? I think going in, I didn't really expect people to open up as much as they did so it really was about what have you experienced and what can we do about it now but I think the dialogue itself was the what can we do about it now so many people brought up so many good points and one thing that really struck a chord was how internalized racism in our upbringing has impacted our relationships with other brown people in particular, other brown girls, and how with internalized racism combined with this culture of comparison 
and this scarcity mindset that there can only be one of us in a space, it really pits brown women against each other. And I I think that's a really good point too, because that was actually something that I, as somebody who grew up in a predominantly white Mm -hmm. neighborhood and, and community didn't have much experience with but (laughs) I've seen it on TV like never have I ever recently which I know has its own problems and qualms and all that jazz um but like there's a whole storyline about how there's two Desi girls in one school and it's like a huge problem that that they feel the need to compete against each other Uh, and so I think that's a really important narrative because it shows this like tokenistic mindset that we internalize too right like you're totally right around scarcity and scarcity in particular being a tool of white supremacy but then we're almost putting ourselves in these positions to be tokenized and and to be deemed valuable as a token which like looking back seems wild but I know that I I definitely too have fallen into that. I love that you brought up never have I ever because I actually recently wrote about that um, for 5x festival about how oh amazing yeah like the relationship between Davy and Anissa and like mm-hmm. how like just seeing that like play on the screen I was like oh wow like this is like what we've been talking about and I think mm-hmm. it's great to have that so like people can just like reflect on their own lives and their own relationships yeah definitely I don't think I'd seen something uh similar portrayed anywhere else I know we're limited in our <laughs> representation on screen and sometimes I'm thankful for that but <laughs> other times I'm not But yeah, it's just like, it's a concept I don't think that we talk about enough and how its relationship to internalized racism is like the root cause of it, right? Like comparison is is one thing and maybe that has cultural elements, of course, but the the root of the problem being this like desire to either fetishize or tokenize ourselves in a position of trying to gain proximity to whiteness and and how that can interact with, with our recognition of our own cultural identity. Yeah, definitely. And I think going back to your original question, one thing that I really took away from the event was a new sense of community. I met like so many great people. I didn't know anyone in that room besides like two of my cousins showed up. (laughs) But it was like so amazing. Like no one knew each other. And we just like were able to like share all these stories. And we've like kept in touch since then. Mm -hmm. And That's just like amazing. I'm so happy. And I'm so proud of that. Amazing. When you were working on this project and also thinking about internalized racism, you mentioned that it was something that was a little bit newer to you at the time. What motivated you to start doing this work? Was there a particular incident or experience that you had, something that sort of sounded the alarm for you being like, this is what I need to be be doing? So at the time, I was just out of high school. It was my first year of university. And I think a lot of people can relate to just questioning like who you are like what makes you you what your identity is and trying to define that so I think that was just kind of the beginning of my journey of recognizing that I'm a racialized person and kind of trying to figure out what that means to me and then when I did the fellowship I was like you know what I think this is like what I'm passionate about at the moment and this is what I need to do right now amazing Have there been any challenges that you faced in doing this work? I know, as we mentioned, it was part of the fellowship. And so there was a small community of support that you had internally. But challenges still arise, particularly when you're navigating this work for the first time on your own and and understanding it or coming to terms with it on your own. 
but then to try and externalize that to create space for other people can be even more difficult while you're trying to figure yourself out. So what was that experience like for you? I think I always struggle with the imposter syndrome, which I think many of us do. So I think just being content with, oh, I don't know everything and that's okay. This is like me learning and I can still hold space for other people to learn while I'm learning. Yeah, I think that's a great point, this idea of holding space for both yourself and others to learn. I think I'm a big fan of this idea of, of, some people say journey, I'm not a fan of that language, but like the process of unlearning and unlearning all the the white supremacist ideals that we've been taught or that have been like forced down our throats to create space for both ourselves and other people doesn't mean we need to be like quote unquote knowledgeable about every single thing to be able to do that work together with other people so I think that's great how have you been able to overcome some of those challenges like the imposter syndrome that you mentioned I think sometimes you just gotta push through it (laughs) you just gotta believe very fair Yeah, that's something I'm still struggling with and still working on with not just this, but like with everything. So I don't have an answer yet, but I'm working on it. Hopefully, like, I don't think, you know, I'll ever like fully get over it. Some progress has been made and hopefully that continues. I think that's actually a really good point. This idea of like, I don't think I can ever fully get over it sort of thing. Like I, imposter syndrome to me is something that is actually placed on us, right? Like this idea that, oh, racialized folks or racialized women in particular or, or gender diverse folks have to be seen a certain way and have to be presented in a certain way. And if you don't live up to that, then there's like, you don't belong in the space, right? But are those spaces built for us to exist in in the first place? Like, are we even welcome there? If we're not welcome there, then is this imposter syndrome not just masked as like some other form of systemic oppression, be it racism, sexism, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think it's something that folks lean into around particularly like white feminism <laughs> around imposter syndrome in the workplace or in academia in, in schools, et cetera. But are they built for us to be in, in the first place, I think is, is a really important question to ask. And is that why we feel uncomfortable? Is that why we feel like we feel like and or are actually being pushed out of those spaces. Is it because it was never made for us and that makes people uncomfortable? Yeah, that's a great point. How have you been able to work on Moksha since the the fellowship? What have you been up to? Yeah, that was last summer. And I'm planning on doing another dialogue at the end of the summer. So just in the coming weeks. And it's going to be a collaboration with Bria Tour. She actually attended the last one, which is where I met her. And she also runs Project Sisterhood. So I'm very excited for that club. It's going to be very similar, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper with the connection between internalized racism and childhood trauma, brown girl trauma and healing. So Mm -hmm. kind of like what we were talking about earlier with Never Have I Ever and you know, brown girls being pitted against each other. So I'm very excited for that. Amazing. I'm glad that 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 one experience led to something so much bigger than just that one event. Like you've been able to to branch out and and now co-host one with folks who attended. So that's amazing. What do you anticipate being the most fulfilling part of your work or what has been the most fulfilling part so far? So it's been about a year that you've had the opportunity to do some of this work and learn from it and also plan for the next things that you're going to be working on. What has been most fulfilling about it? I think 
kind of like the support that I got from the last one. I wasn't really expecting it and it wasn't like from people that I knew. It was like people in the community who recognized that this was important and they reached out and they were like, this is dope. We love this. Keep this up. So I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. Also, just like having this like new community and having this like new knowledge and I think I've been able to explore these topics to like through other avenues as well and I'm hoping to like continue to do that as well. For the folks out there who are interested in pursuing similar community work or initiatives in their own cultural communities or ethnic or religious communities etc particularly racialized folks who are in these spaces. Do you have any tips on on sharing how you created this and what you built? Yeah, I think you need to be like interested in what you're talking about and not just talk about it for the sake of doing it. And I think if you're like actually passionate about it and you're authentic about it, other people will gravitate towards you really easily and quickly. And also try to like, I know we talked about imposter syndrome, but and I don't have any tips to overcome it, but I think you should just like go for new opportunities, even though you don't think you like might not feel like you're good enough for it. Just dive right in and you'll be great. With that said, though, you don't have to take on every single opportunity because other things will come up. So if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, you're not accountable to anyone else. You're only accountable to yourself. So do what's right for you. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's something I definitely struggle with this idea of saying no to things that you don't want to do and and saying yes to those that you do as opposed to just saying yes to every single opportunity, particularly when we have that scarcity mindset or things like imposter syndrome are are placed on us or or we feel that we're embodying them to be able to step back and be like, "No, we don't have to operate from like a mindset of scarcity, which is a mindset of white supremacy. We can look at the abundance that exists and like do what we're passionate about and what is important to us and not have to say yes to everything. So yeah, I think that's an excellent, excellent suggestion for folks to take. I will definitely take it to heart. One thing I'm curious about is now that you've been at this a year, how do you measure success in the work that you're doing? And I think that's a question that we often get asked when we're like applying to funding as racialized youth to create community spaces like this. It's like, how do you measure success? How do you evaluate like how great your project is or the work that you're doing? And a lot of it is based on like colonial methods or, or Western methods of evaluation, very like qualitative, how many people have been reached, how, how much money did you raise, for example, how many programs do you run, that sort of thing. But for a lot of us, success looks very different. And so for you, what does that look like with Moksha? That's a great question. So I think when I started, success was like a big part of it. Like, how can I like do better? How can I build on this? But with like COVID and like, it's just been a stressful year. And I think what I wanted to do with Moksha has really changed since when I started. So like I mentioned, like originally, it was supposed to be more of like, a collective and then like an organization structure but now I just take it as an initiative and I'm like this is like a space that I've created and that I have and I can actually do whatever I want with it so with success I think the way that I look at it now is more just with the dialogues like what people Mm -hmm. get out of it 
so it's actually not about numbers at all. I think the people who need to be there and want to be there will be there. And what's important to me is what they get out of it. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I am definitely on board with that way of thinking. And I think one thing you mentioned that's really important is the ability to sort of adapt to what is working and what is meaningful and what is fulfilling, as opposed to adapting to like have the largest audience or have the biggest group of people attend or the most likes or or whatever. But being able to see like, even if there are five people in the room, is what they're experiencing meaningful and making some sort of difference or supporting them in some way as opposed to it just being like for the likes, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's great. You mentioned you have an upcoming event or dialogue with Priya. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Where can folks find it? How can they register if, if they fit the demographic of folks in that community? And, and where can they find the rest of your work with Moksha? Yeah, so the event page hasn't launched yet, but you can find updates on it on our Instagram page, which is at Moksha Collective. And yeah, that's where everything will be. Amazing. Before we let you go, one question that I always ask folks at the end of the podcast is how I would end racism. That's what I call this segment because we are constantly trying to actually reduce the harm that racism has both on ourselves and our communities while we work in some way to to end it. But what if we could do so instantly? And so I like to dream big because why not? In under a minute, what is your most creative way that you would end racism? So my favorite one is the Thanos snap, where like Thanos would just snap and all of the racists would disappear. And then we can just start over. Some people have used like the easy button, the Staples easy button. You just hit the button every time somebody's racist. We've had some pretty creative ones. So (laughs) what's your wildest one? Oh gosh, I love that question. First of all, that's amazing. And I love your answer. I'm a big Marvel fan. I think I'm going to keep on that Marvel train. And maybe if we had some sort of like alien tech that you could blast from outer space and it just like hits everyone and it takes the white supremacy out and like replaces it with some basic compassion. I think that would be a quick and easy. Will it be ethical? Probably not. But (laughs) I mean, we're talking about white supremacy. So, yeah. Fair. I mean, like, I I will be the first to admit Thanos snap, like, Marvel is, is fully <laughs> military propaganda. So I, I adhere to this pattern <laughs> of using their weapons against them, basically. But that's actually really funny. So like a beam would come down, like, or like a meteor, the way the dinosaurs went out, and it would just remove the white supremacy from people's brains. <laughs> yeah, just just a beam, like, you won't see it coming. It just like happens. And then like at a DNA level, it just yeah. alters your DNA. Yeah, and like no one knows about it. It just happened and then you go on and the world is a better place. I like that, if only. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Kneet. Uh, it was wonderful to talk to you again and I'm very excited to see what you do next with Moksha. Thank you so much for having me. 